familiar stories perhaps to many of you, especially on a Monday night revival crowd. And this is a great crowd for the temperatures. This is a great crowd here. But Monday night, here we are, and we're in Luke 15. And here he is, and he's, uh, people are listening to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes are murmuring. Obviously, Luke records it quite a bit, the Pharisees and scribes' reactions and how they interact with Jesus off and on. And they're murmuring and saying, this man, he, can you believe it? He eats with sinners. Oh, can't believe it. And so Jesus obviously knows their heart. He knows their thinking. He tells them these two parables. There's a man who has a hundred sheep and He's bringing them in, and as he's bringing them in, he's counting them, and he's bringing them into the fold that, for night to protect them from whoever and whatever. And he's counting them, and he gets 94, 95. Some of you got that. Some of you are giving me the smile. Appreciate it. Some of you are getting it. It's Monday night. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of you didn't smile at all. You're like, that's not funny. <laughs> I can't tell, Lexi. Is that a smile? <laughs> she, did, you get it? Okay. I wasn't going to ask if you got it or not. I was just going to ask if you're smiling. Or were you just smiling because everyone else was? Okay. <laughs> I, shouldn't pick, I shouldn't pick on her. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Anyway. <laughs> No, I shouldn't. We're going to be kind. This is Monday Night Revival. Okay, anyway, the guy's counting his sheep. I'm sure it made him tired once in a while. And he gets to 99, and he's like, Fluffy, where you at? You know, we do, here in the West, okay, uh, lost, tax write-off, okay, here we go, keep going. Because we know there's coyotes, wolves, it's, it's gone. You're not going to go, you're going to find pieces of it, and then it's not worth looking for. But not this guy. He goes out, and look what it says there. He goes out which, that which is lost until he find it. When he hath found it, verse 5, he putteth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. God is incredibly interested in the people that come back to him. He's incredibly interested in the repentant sinner that comes back to him. And he tells us this story to show us that. God is the shepherd in the story. He's the one that's going out and seeking. He's the one that's going out and searching. And I can tell you story after story of people who were beyond lost, beyond lost, and yet God was seeking them. God was searching for them. And it's amazing to me, people who you don't think have any inkling of wanting Christ and yet you talk with them and they know, oh, yeah, I know this is what I need. And it's not always who you think. The tatted, the, 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 the poked, the, 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 the whacked out liberal, are they savable? Yeah, they certainly are. You know what I found? They know there's emptiness. They know there's something wrong. And as I've gotten into conversations on planes and trains and, and buses, it's amazing to me that just when I start interacting with people, yeah, you see, I've been called stupid idiot for believing that stuff. But it's amazing to me when I start interacting with people how lost, they know they're lost. They know they're missing something. And God is incredibly interested in them coming back to truth, coming back to himself. 
The people who are lost in the story is the Pharisees, obviously, and he's giving these illustrations for that purpose. The next story, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house and seek diligence till she find it. Now, growing up, I always thought of this as like pocket change. You know, you got ten pieces. In fact, I do. I even have a, what is that, a penny. I got a penny in here. You know, you, you sit down on the couch, especially if it's an overstuffed leather couch, and you, you lose your change, right? You say, oh, yeah, yeah, I had, oh, man, I must, have, I must have dropped my penny. I had a quarter. I don't have a quarter anymore. Oh, well, that's not what's happening here. The ten pieces of silver is actually part of her wedding headdress. It's part of her cultural headdress. It's very embarrassing if she would go out without it. Now, um, my wife has a wedding ring. Do you have an engagement ring? Not on. Okay. But you do have one. You know, you kind of ruined the illustration just now. <laughs> but it's okay. Think about somebody else who just got engaged. You guys have been engaged for how long? Okay, so we're secure here. It's not a problem. Wow. It, it's getting welded? You, we got welders. We can take care of that. Well, my, when I gave my wife her, our engagement ring, her mom gave me the wrong size, and so it was falling off, and so she had to go get it fixed, too. Okay, so there's this guy who gives this girl a wedding ring, and, you know, he goes to pick her up, and it's not on her finger. Or, worse yet, she can't find it. You know where it's at. Okay, we're safe. We're good. We're good, man. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Whew. But... The girl can't find her wedding ring. Well, she's going to go out with this guy here in a few hours, and, you know, it's her fiancé, and the guy notices, where's your ring? And the guy starts having all these thoughts of, why don't you, do you not want to wear the ring? And it's pretty awkward. It would be very awkward, and it'd be even worse, because in that culture, you're wearing these pieces as a headdress. So this is embarrassing, and she is missing one of these ten pieces of silver. And look what it says there. And when she hath found it, verse 9, she getteth on all her social media accounts, and she tells her friends. Oh, that's not in there. King, yeah. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I have lost. And she takes a selfie with it and posts it, and all her friends like it and heart it. Likewise, I say unto you, that's not in there either, in case you're wondering. Okay, likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. God is incredibly interested in people who come back to truth or find truth or they find God. But in all, in all intents and purposes, God's actually the one finding them. It's incredible stories that we have here. Now, don't look down at your Bible. What's the next story? Say it out loud. Prodigal son. Now, I did this on purpose. If I had gotten up here tonight, we're going to talk about the prodigal son. Instantly, just be honest, instantly some of you go, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. How many of you have heard at least five, six, seven, eight messages, nine, ten? You just don't know how many times you've heard in Sunday school teaching the prodigal son. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we, we know the story. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. It's mislabeled. Some of you will know where we're going with this, but it's not the story of the prodigal son. It's mislabeled. Because we actually should, 
well, I'll get there in a second. But it's not about the prodigal son. But I want us to see that Jesus told these stories together. There's a hundred sheep, one is lost. There's ten coins, one is lost. And there's two sons. So look with me what it says here. Verse 11, familiar story. But let's be honest, we're in this story. We're all in this story. Verse 11, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he, the father, divided unto them his living. Right away we see what this younger brother is. He's selfish. Give me. He's entitled. It, it falls to me. I deserve it. It's my rights. He's rebellious. He thought he knew better. Rebellion is anything that when you and I believe a lie thinking we know better than God is. Obviously, rebellion oftentimes plays itself out looking like a certain individual. We can see somebody, we can see a young person, and they're rebellious because of the way they look. But rebellion can look nice. Rebellion can go to church three times a week. Rebellion can dress nicely. Rebellion can look good. But any time that you and I think that we can run our lives better than God can, that's rebellion. And no, you may not have a mohawk and be in a punk rock band. Leave me alone, man. But you can still be rebellious. If you and I think we know better than God does, that is rebellion. And rebellion can look really churchy. Rebellion can sing the hymns. Rebellion can be involved in ministry. And the younger brother, he's rebellious. And underlying all this, he wanted dad dead. A Middle Eastern scholar went over to the Holy Land and he asked both Jewish men and he asked Muslim men. He asked them, what if a son were to come to you, the father and say, Dad, give me the inheritance now. Here in the West, sometimes dads will break up the farm, to, so to speak, and you know, divide the land before they're dead, before they're passed. But that doesn't happen at all ever in the Eastern world. Every time the scholar asked the Jewish men or the Muslim men what would happen if a son would come to a father and say, Dad, give me my inheritance now, he got this kind of shocked expression. And both the Jewish men and the Muslim men kind of said, well, well no, no, that never happens. And they explained, went on to explain to the scholar, if that were to happen, what the son is saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. And that's what the younger brother is saying. Dad, I wish you were dead. The hatred, the vitriol that this younger brother is expressing in these words, we may not see right away, but these Jewish men who Jesus was telling the story to got it right away. This younger brother was an affront to society. This is the type of brother that even today in the Eastern world they take out in stone. We are in our culture, it just doesn't make sense, but through the wars of the past 20, 30 years, we've been introduced to honor killings, which are wicked, which are wrong, but that's part of their culture. This is the type of young man that would be taken out, and even the Levitical law includes uh, phrases for this type of guy. There's no, there's no patience in the law for him. This is a wicked, wrong-headed, evil, maniacal, hateful being. And look what dad does. He divided unto them his living. Dad had every right to have this younger brother stoned. And in the Jewish culture that day, it, there, no one would have bad an eye. In fact, they would have agreed with it. But what did dad do? Okay. 
And no doubt, younger brother, he was being foolish here. He was, if there's an older brother and younger brother, he, the older brother was going to get two-thirds, if you remember from yesterday's message, and the younger brother would get a third. Well, dad probably had to short-sell the farm to do this. He probably had to divide things and liquidate things qu uh, quickly, and he probably didn't get as much. So the younger brother's not even thinking correctly here. He doesn't get nearly as much as he would have if he had just waited a few years for dad to pass. But the younger brother's not thinking and I can tell you, I can, I can look in my own life at times, in my own life, and I can see the younger brother in me. And I don't know everybody here, but it's possible that you're the younger brother or you have been the younger brother. Be honest, you're selfish, entitled, rebellious, not thinking straight. And we can identify that in certain characteristics, but sometimes we need somebody, we need the Holy Spirit to show it us in us. Leaving home for this younger brother was rejection of all that was important, all of the family treasure. The far country may have been the next town over, but it represented the despising of his family heritage. He wanted out. He was done. He looked down at dad. He looked down at culture. He looked down at family. He thought, I know better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be gone. I'm ready to go. Notice verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, the Bible in this verse does not explain to it, but the older brother obviously knew what he was doing. Obviously, he was close enough for the older brother to know he was wasting his living with harlots. The older brother makes that accusation here in a few verses. But the younger brother went out into the world, and he experienced what the world has to offer. And obviously it left him empty. It always does. It left him broken. It always, there is pleasure in sin for a season. And yes, we can't tell these young people there's no pleasure in sin, but there is pleasure in sin, but for 5, 10, 15 minutes, maybe a year or two of that, but then there's brokenness, regret, shame, guilt. And the younger brother, not many days after, he finds out that I, I, my, my money's gone. He spends all. There arises a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And look at the language of verse 15. He went and joined himself. It's a forcible joining. It's like he goes to the farmer and says, please, you've got to feed me. I'm going to die here. And here is a proud, what kind of, what's his nationality? He's a Jew. Here's this proud Jewish boy from a well-to-do family, and what is he doing now? What, what kind of animals is he having to feed? Pigs. That's not kosher. You want to talk about a reality check. Here's a proud Jewish boy who knew inside, I can't touch these, we don't have, no, 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 no. And now he's feeding him. And in fact, he's, he's feeding him and he wishes he could fill his belly with the food that the swine had eaten. Now, we see the word husks there. And oftentimes in our minds, we think of what vegetable? Corn. Bible scholars have looked at this and even gone back into the culture and they say, they didn't feed their pigs corn in the Middle East because that was a very special commodity and it doesn't grow as well, so only, that was only for human consumption. When they say husks here, they usually mean the shells of like a locust tree. I doubt you have it here in the Black Hills, but back east we have locust trees that will drop this pod type thing on your sidewalk and stain your sidewalk. Uh, if you remember those, have you ever seen those? Yeah. In the fall they drop the pods, they stain your sidewalks. Bible scholars tell us that's what... This young man was looking at it thinking, oh, man, I wish I could have some of that. I've never raked those up and thought to myself, hmm, that sounds good. I, I want to try some of that. This young man was so hungry. And notice what happens. 
look again what it says here. He had spent all rose mighty famine. He goes and joins himself to the citizen of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. It's almost like the farmer's like, ha, ha, go feed my swine. He, the farmer's almost reveling in this, it seems like. He would have feigned to have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He's empty, he's broken, he's at the end of his rope. But notice what it says in verse 17. And when he came to himself, he came to himself. And i got to be honest, sometimes you've got to pray for people to come to themselves. It doesn't help us at times to help stop people from coming to themselves. We've got to come to ourselves, and we've got to let people come to themselves. And this young brother, this younger man, he came to himself, and he realized, wait a minute, what am I doing? I've played the fool. I'm an idiot. And he started remembering about his dad. He's broken the relationship off. And he, I, I, I can't. I'm no longer a son, but, but even his hired servants, they've got food in the refrigerator. They've got leftovers. What am I doing here? I, I, this is horrible. Notice what it says here. How many hired servants of my father's, verse 17, have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. They've got leftovers in the fridge, and I am here dying what am I doing? I'll arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He's going to go back to dad. He's hatching this plan. He's going to go back to dad and say, Dad, I realize I've no, I'm no longer worthy. He, in fact, has renounced the family name. And in this culture, still to this day, you see a Muslim man who used to have so many kids, and yet one of them has converted to Christianity. You'll ask him, don't you have a son? And he'll say, no. No, he's dead. He's dead. He renounced the family. He's dead. Whether or not he's physically dead, to the family, to the culture, to the village, that young man is dead. And this younger brother, in doing what he had done, he had told his dad, I am dead to you. I no longer want your last name. I am dead. I no longer am part of the family. And in that culture, he would not have been part of the family. He was dead. He was gone. So he knew, i got to go back and say, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Can I just be one of your hired servants? Because you treat your servants well. Can I just be one of your hired servants so I can just get something in my belly to eat? I don't, you don't have to do anything for me, Dad. You just, just make me one of your hired servants. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. We know this part of the story. The story of the younger brother is an interesting story, and perhaps tonight there's some younger brothers in this room. And I can't, I can't know. I can't see your heart. You're selfish. It's all about you. I guess the technical term would be narcissist. It's all focused on what is good for you. You've bought into the lie of this generation that it's all about me. It's all about me. And in fact, you read the Bible and you're like, well, this is what I think it says. And you can see this so prevalent in our culture. That's narcissism. That's the younger brother. Perhaps you're entitled. Give me. It's all about me. What fault to me? I deserve this. Perhaps you've been living a lie that's rebellious and you're thinking that I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm going to do it. And you've been focused on yourself and you're thinking, I know better than God does. And friends, none of us do. I realize that this type of sin, this type of action, this type of younger brother mentality oftentimes finds its home in the lives of young people. 18, 19, 20-year-olds are oftentimes the most visible in this. 
But I've met some others who show it as well. You've heard the old phrase, uh, wisdom comes with age. You've heard that? Sometimes age comes all by itself. Right? And perhaps tonight there's some younger brothers here. And you may not be in the age category of young anymore, but you identify and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, that's you. You're the younger brother. There's hope. But you got to get honest. Like Jacob yesterday, I'm Jacob. It's me. I'm the one. I'm the problem. I'm the issue. And as long as we're blaming family or circumstances or, or background or, or ministries or kids or whatever, then we're not going to see that it's us. We've got to come to ourselves. We've got to be at the bottom sometimes, but praise the Lord, even at the bottom, there's a father still waiting. So the story here, we oftentimes call the story of what? The... And, you know, the younger brother does feature prominently in the story. Granted, the younger brothers are often the most notable. They're the ones that cause family shame. They're the ones that, that dress a certain way. They're the ones that do certain things. They're the ones that everyone talks about. Oh, they're the ones that make the prayer list, right? Just being honest. They're the ones that, oh, did you hear about so-and-so's country? But there's other people in the story, too, here, isn't there? You do the math. And there's a number of verses given to the younger brother. He's the, 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 he has more verses, but there's also another character. Who's that? The older brother. There's almost as many verses given to the older brother as there is to the younger brother. And the older brother is an interesting study. Obviously, Jesus here, he, who's, he, who's he combating? The Pharisees. We saw that in verse 2 of the chapter. He, he's going after the Pharisees. And he is, the Pharisee's mouth is dropping open at this point because of what this younger brother, oh, I can't believe it. Ah. But then Jesus is going to do what only Jesus could do, and he's going to turn that just a little bit and talk about them without them knowing that he's talking about them. I love how Jesus could do that. And in Luke, in Luke especially, it, it portrays Jesus being able to speak words that the Pharisees would trap themselves in and be without excuse. So here's the older brother. If you look at verse number 28, uh, go, excuse me, look at verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Now the older brother in this passage is not portrayed in the positive light. I've heard preaching that talked about the older brother. And the, well, the older brother, thank the Lord, he stayed home and he, well, he was busy by the stuff. That's not the content. That's not what's happening here. The older brother, he's out in the field working. He's working hard. He's doing the right thing. He's busy. He, he's got it together. And he, he's, a, he's really respected in the town. That's unfortunate about the younger brother. That's just unfortunate. You know, you can't rent all of them. But, you know, that guy, that young man, his, his older son, man, what a, what a guy. He was the president of his youth group. He was the who's who of his high school. He was Mr. Christian Leadership. He had it all. He was Mr. Respect. And he, oh, wow, he's going to take a great space and place in the town and community. Everyone respects him. And he's a great guy, sharp, look good, and he, he does what's supposed to do. But Jesus paints a different picture. Notice what it says here. He comes home and he calls the servants. And what's, what are these things? What, what's all this music? What's this dancing? And notice verse 27. And the he, the servant, said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. 
And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Get a picture here of his own narcissism. Here you have the older brother. Yes, the younger brothers, they're the ones that are easy to spot. They're the ones that go out. And no doubt in this room tonight, there's some younger brothers who perhaps you're just waiting. Perhaps you have been a younger brother and you're coming home or you're still not quite there yet, but you're you're out. But I don't doubt that there's some older brothers here tonight as well. You've stayed. But it's all still about you. He's angry. He's indignant. He's not, I'm not going to go in there. He's self-righteous. He would not go, I'm not going to associate myself with those people. It kind of sounds kind of like verse 2. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Ah. He's self-centered. Did you notice all the personal pronouns? I serve thee, I transgress thee, I, I, my, I, my. He's deceived. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments. Oh, really? You've, you've never disobeyed God? You've, you've never broken God's heart? But you know, he's just as lost. He's pointing to his performances. He's pointing to what he has to offer the Father. Notice what it says there, verse 30. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Ah, he's condescending. He had a problem with his dad's goodness. He was pointing to how good he has been, how faithful, how, 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 how right he's been. And he's, hey, he's got a problem with dad's goodness, how the dad is, dad, you're, you're, you're shaming the family name by doing, he was dead. He, he's dead. Why are you doing that? And to this older brother, he was missing it. He was missing it completely. To him, the relationship was not about me and dad. No, no, no. The relationship was about how what I do and how good I am. That's the heart of pharisaical thinking. When you and I point to ourselves and our actions instead of our relationship as proof of how good we are, we are being the pharisaical older brother. Anytime in our minds where we look down at other people who don't ride it to come to church the same way we do, who write a different form of mentality or different means to church than we do. Anytime, well, they're just a, we're being a Pharisee. So let me ask you, they may write a van to church. Their elevator may not go to as high as it maybe could. Does God love you more than he does them? And yet so often we in our fundamental world, we have looked at how good we are. How, let me tell you about myself. I have been in church just wait for it. For this, we explain how good we are. That's pharisaical older brother thinking. And we have to have God, the Holy Spirit, show us this. There are younger brothers in this room tonight. There's also older brothers. How do you know there's older brothers? Because I'm right here. And I see this in my heart. I see this in my life so often. I look down my nose and I think, well, they don't hold to the same doctrinal position that I do. So certainly because they're a little wary out there. Because that church across town isn't like us as Bible-believing, bible preaching. Certainly God is not as pleased with them. And after all, look at, 
wait a minute, wait a minute. God so loves the... And yes, we believe the Bible teaches holiness and the love of God constrains me and changes me and motivates me to be what God has me to be. But God loves them too, as much as he loves me. And God loves the pagan. Yes, there is an aspect that I don't completely understand that God is angry with the wicked and he's going to judge them. Psalms tells us that clearly. But God loves the world and that he died for all. And that whom God died for, who am I to say that I am better than that individual? Well, I was born in the U.S. and certainly my race. No, 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 no. God loves the world. And any time that we point to our proof, well, we dress like this, so certainly God is more accepted. No. Well, we have this set of doctrines and we're Baptists, so certainly God is more happy. No. Yes, I believe the Bible leads me to be a Baptist by conviction. But what did Jesus say to his disciples? Lord, we were able to do this and do this and accomplish this, and we did this, we saw this, and we are right in our doctrine, and we're right in our practice. Rejoice that your names are written in the book. And that's where it's at. The older brother was missing it still, too. The Christian life is not a list of rules to keep. It's not a dress code. It's not a set of actions we have to do. It's a relationship. And the older brother, in many respects, was just as lost as the younger brother. The younger brother went out and he, he, oh yeah, everyone knew him. But the older brother was there, but he was just as lost. He's a Pharisee. And he may look good. He may act good. He may have it all together now, you know, dot all his I's and cross all his T's. And yet inside, he's missing it all. And Jesus was trying to get these religious men's attention who knew the law, who knew the Bible, who looked good on the outside and say to them, hey, you're on the outside looking in. That's the older brother. Good chances there's some older brothers here tonight. But the story is not about the younger brother, even though it's often called the prodigal son. The story is not about the older brother. Who's the story about? The father. Now stop and think about it with me for a second. Think about the father. He was a man of wealth. He could throw a party at a moment's notice. He could call the musicians, and he had a fatted calf. Meat back in that day was not something that we eat. We eat it readily today, especially out here in the West. We like our meat. Huh. Vegans, what are those people? Whatever. No, we like our meat, and if you are a vegan, I, I'm not trying to offend. But we, in our Western culture, like the meat. Huh. But... This guy was wealthy. He had it together. Look what it, back with me. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 15. And look what it says in verse number uh, 22. But the father said to the servants, uh, back up a little bit. And he arose, verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. And that's when we pick up the story with the older brother. The father was incredibly wealthy. He was generous with his labors. His laborers had plenty of food to eat. His sons, he was extravagant with. This is an incredible dad. The father let him go. The father loved him even while he was gone. 
And the father looked for him, forgave him, lifted him up. The father never changed his disposition. And the amazing thing about this, and something I didn't understand, we always see this, and the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. But there's something interesting happening here. I, some Bible commentators were writing on this, and it was really fascinating. Middle Eastern men do not run, never. Watch a uh, news conference with Arab or Jewish men. How do they walk? Very slow, very stately. Part of their culture says men do not run at all. So when the father ran, no doubt once again, the Pharisees are like, whoa, 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 what? Perhaps the reason the father ran is because if the other men of the village saw the younger brother coming home, they would have killed him because of how he had shamed the village. We don't think about this in the Western world. We're always excited when the younger brother comes home. But in that culture, perhaps the older men would have killed him. So the father ran and put a robe on him, put rings on his fingers, put shoes on his feet. It is interesting that all that the younger brother was hoping for, acceptance and provision, he found when he came back to the father. And everything that we hope to find out in the world, we only will find when we come to the father. He rejoiced because the loss was found. Rings and shoes go on sons, not on servants. But don't miss this. Go back down with me to verse 31. And he said unto him, that's the father now talking to the older brother again, son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And certainly all that he have was the brothers because he had already split up the inheritance. He had already given out the inheritance. But look what it says there. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He was rejoicing because of what the younger brother had done. He had come back. And this father shows exactly the heart of our heavenly father who is always seeking and always searching for the younger brothers who go out. And we always praise the Lord when the younger brothers Go out into the world. We, we praise the Lord when they come back. And praise the Lord. I've seen this happen in my ministry. I've seen younger brothers who've gone out come back to truth. And we say, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But there's something else that's happening here. And the bigger story here is what is happening with the older brother. Yes, the younger brother, they, they're the ones that, that everyone sees. They get the haircut and the tattoos. But the older brother... Notice what it says in verse 28. And he, the older brother, was angry and would not go in. Get these words. Therefore came his father out. Hey, the party's in there. The party's in there. party's in here you're missing it but dad I've, I've done all these things I've, I've kept your word I've done all these th hey you've missed a relationship with me the older brother was in the same position as the younger brother he had missed the father he had missed what God was doing in his heart and life and he was missing it all 
And could it be that some of us, especially in our conservative Bible-preaching churches, we're guilty of being the older brother because, after all, we do this and we act right and we live right and we've got these set of standards and these set of convictions and we've got these set of beliefs and these set of doctrines and we don't do this 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 and we don't do this. And certainly, and we work hard. We go on mission trips, we do this, we serve God, we do all these things and we, we're, we're all good. Do we have a relationship with the Father? Because all of that is just peripheral. We can be exactly what we're supposed to be and still miss the Father. And here's the amazing truth about it. The Father comes out of the party. Did he have to do that? Uh Uh-oh. And he entreats. He pleads. Hey, come on. Give up your pride. Give up your insolence. Give it all up. The fun is with me. The fun is with me. Let him that glorieth glorieth in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. And this is life eternal. You know the rest of the verse? That they may know thee. The God whom Jesus whom thou hast sent. That's where it's at. Friends, it's not about what we do or don't do. Yes, the Bible teaches us to live holy, godly, and righteous lives. But that is a, after my relationship with God. And anytime we point to what we do or what we don't do or how we live or what we, as proof of how good of a Christian we are, and this is how much God loves, we are the older brother. We are being a Pharisee. Jesus loves me. This I know. Wow, I have a relationship with God. I've talked with him multiple times today. Wow. And yeah, from that, the externals come. From that, the actions come. From that, the do's and the don'ts come. When we flip that, it's called fair thinking. And here the father is coming out and treating, and perhaps again he's doing that for us tonight. Saying, hey, yeah, yeah, I, great, great, great. You, you've got it all down pat, good, good, good. But do you have a relationship with me? You know, it's not about standards. There's more religion. The Mormons have more standards than we do. The Muslims have more standards than we do. Many more. Thankful I'm not. Because I like bacon. (laughs) So you know what that means? It's not about the externals. It's about Jesus. It's about a relationship. The Christian life is not a list of rules. It's a relationship. And perhaps there's some older brothers here tonight who you're pointing to how good you are. You're the older brother. You're outside the party. <laughs> you're on the outside. Well, I'm never, I don't know, I'm not, I'm. Uh, party's in here. That's where the rejoicing is when people come back. So there's a hundred sheep, one is lost. There's ten coins, one is lost. There's two sons, both are lost. And there's a father that's thrown an incredible party that meets every single one of our needs. Let's get back to the father. That's where it's at. It's an amazing truth that we find here. We call the story the story of the what? It's a misnomer. The word prodigal in our past 150 years of English has taken on the negative context 
of uh, lasciviousness. That's what prodigal now means in our English. So most of the time you say prodigal, that's a good term or bad term, bad. But actually prodigal in its original thinking, in its original denotation, I guess would be the technical term for it, meant excessive, lavish. So I want to ask you in this story, who's prodigal? Who's excessive? Who's lavish? The father is. The story's not about the younger brother. The story's not about the older brother. The story is about an incredibly loving father who calls to you and I, whether we're out or home. Come on. It's about a relationship with me. That's incredible. God loves you. God loves me. In spite of what you've done, in spite of what you will do, and in spite of what we think of ourselves, he still calls to you and I. Hey, the party's in here. You know what that makes me want to do when I know this? I want to go, go, go get more people. I want to go get more younger brothers. I want to go tell more older brothers. You're missing it, bro. You're missing it. The party's in here. <laughs> You're missing it all. And when we understand how good God is, that the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance, wow. Yes, there is soul winning in these chapters. There is soul winning in these verses. Yes, the 90 and 9 we can sing, but it comes from a knowledge of who God is and how good he is. That's where it's at. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes as we finish tonight. In a minute, the pianist is going to play a simple hymn of invitation. We won't be long. We're, We're done. But how many would say, Brent, tonight God spoke, God convicted. I'm the younger brother. I see it. I'm proud. I'm arrogant. I'm self-centered. I'm narcissistic. It's all about me. And God spoke to me. There's been times, or maybe even now, I'm the younger brother. I see it. Would you lift your hand to that in honesty to God? I see myself as the younger brother. Amen. How many would say, Brent, I see myself tonight. I'm the older brother. I'm the Pharisee who points to who I am and what I've done and my convictions and my standards and my determinism and my, and my determination and what I've accomplished. I see it tonight, and that's not where it's at. I'm missing the relationship of, with Jesus. I'm missing the relationship with the Father, and I see myself tonight. I'm the older brother. God convicted. God spoke. God challenged. Would you lift your hand in honesty to that question? I'm the older brother. Amen. 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 The really, the whole response that we're supposed to have to this is this. How do we say, Brent, praise the Lord for the Father. And tonight, once again, I see how good the Father is. And once again, I'm reminded of what I have in Jesus, what I have through Jesus and and God's kingdom and and God's family. And tonight, once again, I, I stand in awe and reverence and praise the Lord that I get to know him. And that's where I get my footing. And praise the Lord, tonight I've been reminded, I've been encouraged, I've been challenged again, what I have in Christ. Would you lift your hand to that question? Amen. My hand's up too. The pianist is going to play. And if God has spoken, if God has challenged, the pianist is going to play one verse tonight. Take the time, either there at your seat or come forward. Do business with what God, how God would have you.